When I was young, my girlfriend and I one day, and, and she's my wife now. I only had one girlfriend in my whole life. Boy, I should not be lying like that. So, <laughs> my girlfriend of the day, which now is my wife called Elsie, we were driving in the car. It was a wonderful summer's day, driving through all the farm area there, uh, shorts, short sleeves, sandals. So we're driving, and, and there's this beautiful area filled with these alfalfa fields or hay fields, like that. Beautiful, lush, lush soft green. So I get this crazy plan. I said, Elsie, let's jump the fence, because we have fences there around. Let's jump the fence, go run in this wonderful soft field, go lie on our backs, look at the sun, and maybe have a little kiss or two. Elsie says, you're out of your mind. It's not as fun as you think. And I'm saying, come on, Elsie, let's live a little. So I stop the car, I jump out, take my sandals off, I jump the fence. And I start running, and the next thing it's like, uh-oh. Because as lush and soft and green as it looks, underneath is rocks and sticks and thorns. So I turn around, and there at the car is someone standing with a, <laughs> I told you so, look on her face. Not a good plan. Maybe you've made the same mistake as well. Not jumping the fence and running in alpha alpha things, Dad, in an alpha alpha field. But maybe, maybe life lured you, fooled you, tricked you to go run in a green field, and you discovered it wasn't as green as it looked. It was filled with rocks, sticks, and so on. The Jews living in Persia discovered that. So let me give you a little background again because we've kind of two weeks back. So Genesis 11 tells us about this man called Abraham, and God comes to Abraham, Genesis 12, I mean. God comes to Abraham, and he says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And through you and your descendants, I'm going to bless all the people of the earth. But this is what needs to happen. You are going to have to live in a way that I am honored, that I can be seen, that my glory can be seen through you and the way in which you live in this world. So... It starts off well, and they do well, but as time goes on, they start running in green alfalfa fields. And things get messed up a little bit, and God sends his prophets to speak to them and say, turn back, you need to live differently. They don't. So at some stage, God decides, I need to get their attention, and they go into exile. In the year 586 before Christ, the Babylonians come and they take them away into Babylonian exile for around 50 years. 539 BC, the Persians overrun the Babylonians and they become the new empire. Remember, I showed you how huge that empire was. Humongous empire. They run the show. They did it a little differently. The Babylonians exiled. The Persians said, go back. You go live in your own place or wherever you want, but we'll tax the living daylights out of you. That sounds like something we know. We'll just tax you. Uh, so they, they could choose where, where they wanted to go. So by the time we meet two of our main characters, Mordecai and his cousin Esther, who became his daughter when he adopted her, I told you that the last time, when we meet them, quite a few generations have passed since they've last seen Jerusalem. So 
uh, it would be hard to imagine that they remembered much of what happened back in the old homeland because they grew up in uh, between Persian people, in Persian culture, in Persian wealth, in Persian religion. And here's the other thing. Uh, the really dedicated Jews, when the Persians said, you can go back, they really went back to Jerusalem. Uh, remember under Zerubbabel? Do you remember his name? You know why his name is called Zerubbabel? Because he had to rebuild the temple and the temple was in rubble. So they called him Zerubbabel. And the others went back with Ezra. And then there was a guy who built the walls, right? You remember who he was? The walls were only knee-high, so they called him knee-high Maya. Oh, boy, I'll keep my day job. I'll, I'll keep my day job. Okay, so they went back under Zerubbabel and Ezra uh, and, and settled back in Jerusalem. So those who stayed behind in Persia wanted to stay behind in Persia. They made a choice. They had good jobs. They had strong positions. They were living the good life, but to be able to do that, they had to abide by the Persian rules, and they also had to adapt and accept the Persian culture and all that goes with that. Which is where we find them in the book of Esther. People far away from their homeland, living in the hayfields of Persia. And the first chapter we're going to look at today only says one thing. Persia is lying to you. Persia is not your hometown. Don't jump the fence. Be careful of what you find in Persia. So, I'm going to take you. Chapter 1. Esther, chapter 1. King Xerxes, remember I told you, Xerxes was a wimp. He was a drinker. He had no regard for women. And he changed his convictions with the weather. You'll see that. Xerxes the wimp trying to show off. Chapter 1. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. These Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. That's right down in Africa. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. I told you, that's where the whole setting of Esther is. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. Can we just stop here for a second? What's happening here? Xerxes is on his way to go and try and take over Greece. And for this campaign, he needed the help of all his princes and nobles and the Medians and all of these to go with him. So for six months, he wines and dines them with this extravaganza that you'd find down in Vegas. Six months. Can you imagine? That was Xerxes. He was more of a drinker than a thinker. I told you last time. So after the six months, we have another banquet. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days. This was in the enclosed garden of the king's palace. For all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa, 
The garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. Just look at what you see. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other, and the royal wine was abundant. That was in keeping with the king's liberality. Hmm. King's drinking problem. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions. For the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. And this is correct. It's not each person. This was the men. Because here comes the next one. King Vashti, Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine. That's a kind translation. <laughs> it should sound like this. On the seventh day when Xerxes was as drunk as a skunk. He commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, and I'm not going to read all their names, to bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. Can I just say something? There are translations that say that she was called to wear only her crown. Get what I'm saying. Persia was not a safe place for any woman, not even a queen. They were just used and abused. So in this moment, this drunk king with no regard now wants to make himself look really good and really strong. What does he do? Now he wants to parade the queen like some show person or show horse in front of all of his drunk friends. So he says, go get her. <laughs> Was he in for a surprise? But, and you know I've told you before, biblical buts, they always spell something coming. But, when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. And then the king became furious and burned with anger. Let me skip a few verses and just explain them to you. So look at this person. Look at the lesson. We're in Persia. We're in the green fields of Persia. This is what you need to adapt to. This is what you give your life to if you want to live in Persia. Pick your Persia. Instead of this drunk man realizing his wife is saying, buddy, what are you doing? Going to her and apologizing and saying, I'm really sorry that I messed up. Can we fix this in private? And I won't do that again. Know what happens next? I'm not going to read that. I'll tell you what happens. He calls his advisors. The greatest king, 127 provinces he rules. He doesn't even know how to live in his household. He gets his advisors. He says, the queen doesn't want to listen to me. What, what do I do now? They go and they have this huge meeting, general assembly. Put it together and they come back and they said, this cannot be tolerated. So this is what you should do. And then we'll stop reading after this and we'll talk. So then Mamupkan, the one who was the leader of the, of, the, of the bunch, replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, 
Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and all the peoples of all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women. And so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, the Persian and the Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord. What world are they living in? Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which meant they cannot be repealed, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. And then when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all his vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. The king and his nobles were pleased with his advice. So the king did as Mamukan proposed. Can I hit the pause button? Just looking at your faces as I was reading this, I could see the disgust. Right? And, and if you were, were kind of rolling your eyes a little bit, and, and you were frowning at what we just read, that is exactly what the writer of Esther wanted us to see. He wanted to remind us and say, don't be fooled by the bright lights and the power and the parties of Persia. And again, I put Persia in quotation marks. Don't jump the fence. Let's talk about that a little bit. Can I tell you a story that will help us? Hans Christian Andersen wrote a beautiful story called The Emperor's Clothing. You can go read it. It's, it's online. It's, it's, it's available. It's a little longer. I'll give you the Coles notes because it just helps us to get where we are here. So the emperor, he writes, loved his wardrobe and always wanted to dress so extravagantly. And a bunch of charlatans heard about this and they saw a chance to make a quick buck. So they went to the king and they said to the king, we have this wonderful material that will make you, king, look so amazing. But here's the thing about this king. Only the nobles, only the wise and sophisticated will be able to see that. The simpletons and the normal people won't be able to see this. This is just for noble, wise people. The king felt really good about this and he said, please do that. So they got a place, they put up their looms. And they started working. After a while, the king decided to send a clergyman, one of his pastors, to go and have a look how they're doing. So they went in there and they looked, and, and these people were working like crazy, but they couldn't see a thing. And they thought, oh my goodness, if only sophisticated people can see this, and we can't, we can't go back to the king and we don't see a thing. So they went back and they said to the king, oh, it's beautiful. You should see the clothes that they are making. But there was nothing on the looms. They had nothing on there. So a little while later, the king decided to send one of his noblemen to go have a look how they're doing. The nobleman walked in there and he looked around. He couldn't see a thing, but they were busy working. And he was thinking, oh my goodness, 
I can go back to the king and look like a simpleton. So he went back and said, oh, you are not going to believe the clothes they're making. So the day came that the king was supposed to put on the clothes. So these people came in and the king could see nothing. But he just kept quiet because only sophisticated people could see this. And he was not going to say he couldn't see this. So they undressed him and he stood there naked. And they said, okay, now we're going to dress him. And they dressed him, but there was nothing. And then the king went out and all the people were gathered to see the king in his beautiful robes. And he walked out and no one wanted to admit that they couldn't see. And they were umming and awing and ooing. And then a little boy right in the back said, Why is the king naked? Could it be that the bright lights and the parties of Persia is nothing but folly? Could it be that all the hoopla and all the stuff of Persia is nothing but a hoax? All the red carpets with what goes with that and the by invitation only parties and all the millions of views and all the little heart likes and all the likes on all the media and all the social media hype and, and all the influencers is nothing but a lush green field. Don't jump the fence. Because you might land on those stones and the thorns and the rocks that are hidden. Don't believe the lies of Persia. Because you, my friends, each one of us, we have been bought in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have been bought not to blend in, but to stand out. First Peter chapter 11, 12, 2 verse 11. You are exiles and foreigners in a strange world, but you are caught. We'll, we'll get to that, Ted. It's, well, thank you. You got, thank you. Put it verse 11. Good. Stay away from those desires that wage war against your soul. Thanks. I didn't even ask him to do that. This is who we are. You are not people of Persia. It is not your homeland. Don't get cozy in Persia. Because here's the thing. And I'm going to say something that some people are going to maybe frown at me, but that's fine. I want to warn you that there's a thing out there called the devil. And the world doesn't like that word. And many people say, ah, oh, come on, that's old people's. Let me tell you, the word speaks about him. Calls him a snake, calls him a dragon, calls him a devil. Calls him the one that will lie to us. Let me warn you about that thing. He's out there to convince you. That it's okay to compromise. That it's okay to compromise whatever your convictions are when you're in Persia. Jump the fence. He's trying to convince you to forget who you are in Jesus Christ, your Lord. 
He's trying to convince you that you can't make a difference and that you and your opinion doesn't matter. Don't believe the lies of the prince of Persia. He's been a liar forever. He's been kicked out of heaven and he's running around in this world and all he's doing is trying to get us to jump the fence and land in the green field. You won't have Elsie standing there looking at you saying, I told you so. You're going to be so hurt when you land there. We are asked to be different. Can we go to that first Peter? But let's start a little easy, uh, earlier, Fred, uh, Ted, by verse 9. You. See, there's a but. Reminds us who we are. You are a chosen people. That's us, my friends. You were born into Jesus Christ. You were baptized into Jesus Christ. You were saved by the blood of Jesus our Lord and washed and cleaned. You don't have to jump the fence. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. What do you need on the other side? Imagine Peter, God says, hey, Peter, you're my special possession. What could be more beautiful than that? What do you need on the other side? Why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. My dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, can I put in there, living in your own Persia, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's the story for today. Don't believe the lies of Persia. Don't jump the fence. You were made for a moment like this to stand out as a special possession of God. Amen. We praise you, O Lord, Creator, Redeemer. One who brought us back from exile and gave it life, gave us life, life in all of its abundance because that's what you said, Lord Jesus, I have come to give you life. Life in its fullness. And what more do we need than you? Help us, Lord, as we live in our own Persias, wherever that might be, to be that salt and light that you have called us to be. To spread the taste of your gospel and your fullness and your truth. To bring light in the darkness but not our light, the light of Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Help us as we walk past those green fields that seem so lush and soft to continue on your path and not jump the fence. We can't do it on our own, Lord. We just can't. But you have given your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of God, guide us, help us, teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.